Hi, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online, and a very special thank you to all of our mothers out there today. This week, we are celebrating those leading ladies in our lives with a special Mother's Day sermon from our senior pastor, the Reverend Dr. Jared Ott. We also encourage you to join us next week as we kick off a new series called Walk This Way. This is a study on the book of James looking at how we carry out our Christianity. And now, here is Pastor Jared with his Mother's Day message. Thank you for listening. Amen. Thank you, Jamie. Well, happy Mother's Day to each and every one of you. I love uh, the fact that uh, Brad gave his mother flowers. Uh, I know how Brad was uh, as a child, and uh, I know how you were in your trench coat and uh, wearing black makeup, and so I think that, um, I think you and your heavy metal music, Brad, um, if you really want to say thank you, I think you need more than a a couple flowers. You need to buy your mom like a whole store and call it, call it from goth to good. Um, (laughs) But it is wonderful to celebrate Mother's Day. You know, there was a Jewish proverb that once said, God could not be everywhere, therefore he made mothers. I think that's sometimes right. We see that video, mothers are everywhere. I appreciate my own mom. You know, as Pastor Jamie said, it was, um, I just got back from the Holy Land. And I got to tell you, I took 50 people through a tour of the Holy Land, and I wasn't as stressed as I was this week trying to pick out a gift for my wife. Um, Buying a gift for my wife on Mother's Day is probably the hardest thing that I come in contact with uh, every year. And so I, I did some research online to find out uh, what you know, guys get their wives for Mother's Day. And I actually found more lists of what not to get your wife uh, for Mother's Day. <laughs> and there's actually a top five list. So I'll read them to you. Guys, if you're still looking for some thoughts for your uh, wife, don't buy them this. Uh, this is from a number of guys that they surveyed. Don't buy anything that plugs in. Anything that requires electricity is seen as utilitarian. Second one was, don't buy any clothing that involves sizes. Somebody figure out there's a one in 7,000 chance you'll get her size right. And your wife will be offended the other 6,999 times. Avoid all things useful and time-saving. The new silver-polished advertised to save hundreds of hours is not going to win you brownie points. Don't buy anything that involves weight loss or self-improvement. I don't know what guy did that, but apparently he found out that she perceived a six-month membership to a diet center as a suggestion that she's overweight. And finally, the top thing not to buy your wife is don't buy jewelry. The jewelry your wife wants you can't afford, and the jewelry you can afford she doesn't want anyway. So I thought that was good. So I got my wife nothing. Um, happy Mother's Day. You have me. Um, Happy Mother's Day. I know, as Pastor Jamie already prayed, though, this is, uh, Mother's Day is a celebration, but it's also a hard time. I get it. As, as ministers, as a pastor, I know it. We're reminded of it every year. You know, I understand that for some, being a biological mother isn't possible. I get it. I know that for some, motherhood was actually an, it was an accident. It wasn't planned, and it wasn't always welcome. I know for some of us, when we think of our own moms, they're not very nice. Don't have very good memories. And I also know that for some of us, motherhood has not been a bed of roses. Has not been this primrose path of easiness and delight with our own children. We've had children that have gone wayward or made some bad decisions. And so for Mother's Day, motherhood is hard. And I get it. I also know when it comes to a, a service like this, when we think of uh, men and husbands and even young people, they think, oh, it's Mother's Day passage. It's a Mother's Day sermon. I'm just going to check out. I've got to tell you, this passage is really for us. What we just read, it's really for us. Because, you know, 
frankly, parenthood, motherhood, parenthood in general has really been devastated over the years, hasn't it? You know, marriage is kind of desecrated, it's mocked, broken families everywhere. Parent responsibility is kind of, goes by the wayside. We let our kids make their own decisions. We don't want to, people are saying, don't, don't be too overbearing. And so we, we don't want to put too many restrictions around them. And it becomes, a waste, it becomes a, an issue. Mothers become selfish, too. We've seen that, where it's like their kids are an intrusion or a distraction or a problem or money, a money issue. They're just a financial mess. Or We think of that. We think of all the different issues we surrounded by motherhood and parent, parenting in general. But one thing great about the Scripture is that God's standards do not change, do they? They don't change from the beginning of time. They don't change from the get-go of how God set up parents to be. In fact, in 1 Timothy, Paul said to Titus, teach younger women to be lovers of their husbands, lovers of their children, pure, keepers of the home. The Bible is very clear when it comes to parenting about how the responsibility we we have as parents and as mothers. And we can look through all of Scripture and find different examples of wonderful, godly mothers, can't we? We think of uh, Sarah, who uh, was, you remember Sarah was married to Abraham and she couldn't have children. In very old age, she had a child. We think of Rachel, whose last words before she died was giving her child the name Ben-Onai, the child of grief. We think of Jacobed, that was the mother of Moses, who desperately didn't want her child to be killed by Pharaoh, so she put him, Moses, in that basket. We think of Ruth, who, sensed, who was a gentle spirit, sweet spirit, who loved and sacrificed. We think of Deborah, who was called the mother of Israel. We think of Elizabeth, who gave birth to John the Baptist. We think of Mary, who gave birth to our Lord. But there's no greater honor due to a mother. No greater honor than Hannah. And we just read about Hannah in 1 Samuel. We go back to 1 Samuel, we think, why are we going back to 1 Samuel? Hannah, Hannah's a true testament of a mother. Hannah's name actually means grace. How many of us need grace in our own life, huh? You got to know that you think, well, I don't understand what, you know, Hannah, she had, she gave birth to Samuel. You have to understand that during the time of Hannah, right before this, it was the period of judges, okay? Judges and all the judges were coming in and they were dying, and the, the nation was a mess. It was in turmoil. There was issues everywhere. The uh, people in the, um, the priesthood were immoral. The Philistines were, were, were threatening to destroy the cities. There was moral scandals. It was a mess. The nation needed a great leader, a great man. But even more so, they needed a woman to shape that man. Let me say this again. Every, behind every great leader, I'm sure, is a great mother. Behind every great man or woman, I'm sure there's a great mother. Samuel was one of the greatest men who ever lived throughout this, uh, the scripture. But it was the, the product of a godly mother. Understand that. It was the product of a godly mother. You know, we, when we look at Hannah's life, we first have to recognize the relationship to her husband. Relationship to her husband. Let me say this right from the get-go. P- parents. People planning to get married. Young people. The greatest relationship you can have in your family is not from a, a, a parent to a child. It's from a husband to a wife. Let me say that again. The greatest relationship in a family, the strongest relationship, needs to be between the husband and wife. Why? Because that's what children see. That's what children see. That's what children learn. 
They learn about how to communicate. They learn about love. They learn about forgiveness. They learn about communication. They learn about honesty, integrity, and compassion. That's what children learn. So if you're thinking, if you have children and and you don't have a very good marriage, but you think, I'm going to have a great relationship with my child, forget it. I was just counseling with somebody this week, uh, premarital counseling. They're getting married in two weeks, and we were talking about children. And I said, you know, we can talk about children all day, but if you don't have a good relationship between the two of you, forget it. It doesn't matter anyway, because your kids are going to see a mess. They're going to end up being a mess. You guys got to learn how to communicate, how to love, how to show forgiveness, how to have honesty, how to have integrity. Otherwise, your children are going to learn the opposite. So they had a good relationship. Now, first off, when you look at Hannah's relationship with her husband, she did not marry the perfect man. So if you're in here and you think your husband is the perfect man, he's not, okay? I don't know how many of you think that. Husbands, maybe you're thinking, I am the perfect man. You're not. Uh, I can tell you that right now. It wasn't a perfect, he wasn't a perfect man. In fact, we see, when we come to this passage, it's tough because we actually see that her husband was a polygamist. He had two wives. You know, back then, when you're, if your wife uh, couldn't have children, you married somebody else. I've got to say, right from the get-go, God created one man, one woman in marriage, but what happened was all that turmoil, all that, all that sin, all that stuff came into that, that culture. And it takes a while to unpack that and get root that out. It's like missionaries. You know, they go you know, into a culture and they're trying to talk about Jesus. It takes generations for that to kind of come undone, all the stuff that's going on there within that, uh, that area. So he wasn't a perfect man. But I got to tell you, Elkanah and, Hannah had, a very, and Hannah had a very good relationship, a very godly relationship. That's why I've titled this sermon, A Godly Wife and Mother. She was a godly wife. Why? Because her and her husband shared worship. You know, it's not in your service sheets, but if you go back to verse 3, it says, Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrificed the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, and where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. It doesn't say once a year. It says year after year. The idea here is that there was a constant worship. They worshiped together. I love the fact when husbands and wives come to worship together. They come in and they worship together because it says something to their kids about the importance of worship, the importance of church, the importance of being there, making that a priority that no matter what's going on with all the schedules in life, that coming and worshiping is part of their very foundation. I love that. I love the fact when husbands and wives also uh, serve together in a ministry. It's so wonderful because what it says to the kids in the relationship is that God comes first. Her and her husband shared worship, and I love that. Maybe you're here for the first time. Maybe you're here because your wife or your mother asked you to come. You're coming for Mother's Day. Make this a priority. So many things come into our lives, schedules, and lately, Pastor Jamie and I are even talking about how hard it is, even now, with, even in youth ministry, how difficult it is because there's so many scheduling conflicts coming up. And what does it say to kids when, when all those other things become a priority besides worship? So they, they shared worship. She was a godly wife, too, because they also shared love. Shared love. Look at verse 4. It says, When the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Peninnah, and to her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion. A double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. You have to understand what would happen is they would go to the, they would go and they would sacrifice something. The priest would take some and they would give some back to the family. And what the head of the household would do is he would divide it up. And if you give a double portion to somebody, that really showed an amount of love, an amount of appreciation for somebody. It meant a big deal. 
So they shared love. It wasn't just that they shared worship. He actually showed love on a regular basis. He showed love. He gave her a double portion. He says, listen, I love you. I love you. He wasn't going to hide that from everybody else. When you do that in the household, it's a big deal. Everybody goes, oh, man, that's who they really like. Husbands sometimes don't want to show love. Sometimes women don't want to, wives don't want to show affection in public. They, th- these two had no problem showing that he loved each other. Husbands, wives, show your kids that you love each other. Show them through affection, throw, show them through gifts, show them whatever, but communicate that love to them on a regular basis. You've got to. And men, if you don't know it yet, your wife's security is wrapped up in your love for her. Not in what you can give her, not in your house, not in your car, not in your possessions. It's that love. And Hannah felt that love. She was secure in that love. So they had love. And finally, she was a godly wife because not only did they share love, but they shared feelings as well. They shared feelings. Look at verse 6. Because the Lord closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her to irritate her. This went on year after year. When Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, the rival provoked her till she wept and couldn't eat. Her husband, Elkanah, said to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why do you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? There's a lot of people in life, uh, married people, that get to a point where I consider them business partners. Where they're living in a household, maybe they come to worship together, and they say they love each other, but they're not really talking. They're not talking about how they're feeling, how they're dealing with life. What's God teaching you? What are things that you're struggling with? How can I be praying for you? Why are you downhearted? What things are making you happy? I tell couples all the time, listen, don't get to the point of being business partners. You've got to be able to express and communicate your feelings to one another. Elkanah did that. He saw that his wife was sad, and he went and said, why are you downhearted? He went right to the source of the problem. He didn't say, well, she's just having a bad day, or uh, maybe she's just hormonal, or maybe she, you know what, she'll be fine tomorrow. No, no, no. He went to the problem. He still talked about it. He went to her. They shared feelings together. She was a godly wife because she opened up to him. She wasn't afraid to say what was going on in a relationship. Some people don't want to talk about it because they think it's going to get worse. Talk to your spouses. You have to. That's how you have a good relationship. So she was a godly wife. She had a great foundation. And because of that great foundation, she was a godly mother. She was a godly mother. How do we know she was a godly mother? First off, we know she was a godly mother because she was a woman of passion. A woman of passion. You have in your service, she's verse 10, as, as Jamie just read. It says, in deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping, weeping bitterly. She made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to you, to him, to the Lord for all the days of his life. No razor will ever be used on her head. She wanted a child because she wanted to dedicate it back to the Lord. She did not want a child so she could dress him up in a cute bunny outfit at Easter and parade him around. She didn't want a child just to show off or just to tell that other woman, look, see, I've got a child, I can do that. She didn't want a child because it fulfilled some kind of weird need of, of jealousy that she had. She wanted a child because she wanted to dedicate it back to the Lord. That's passion. She knew it was God's best, and she wanted to honor and glorify it. She didn't look at children as an inconvenience or a problem or, uh, you know, as, a, as an interference of life. That's what I love about uh, adoption. 
I love it because it's men and women who say, you know what, these, these children don't have parents and I want to be the parent for them. I want to take them in as my own and I want to adopt them and raise them up in the Lord because children are a precious gift. It's so powerful. She was so passionate, so passionate. She's weeping bitterly. I love that. She was a woman of passion. Mothers, are you women of passion for your children? Not only is she a woman of passion, she was a woman of prayer. A woman of prayer. Look at verse 12. She kept on praying to the Lord. Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart. Her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. And Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I am not drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Now, I have to stop there and give a little caveat for Eli. That's a great recognition of what was going on there, Eli. You're the high priest, and you think that she's drunk. That would be like me or Jamie getting up and going, man, they were singing this morning, and they put their hands up. They must be high. (laughs) Come on. She's praying so earnestly. So praying so earnestly. She knew where to go with her problem. I love that. It doesn't say... It doesn't say she went to the the house uh, uh, to get a massage or to go to a spa treatment. It didn't say that Hannah was so downtrodden that she went to exercise to uh, avoid the problem that she had. Or Hannah was so upset that she went out shopping. Hannah was so upset that she took it out on everybody else around her. No, Hannah was kept on praying to the Lord. She was so upset she knew where to go with the source of her problem. She is the epitome of casting your cares on the Lord because what? The Lord cares for you. She went right to the source, right back to God. She's praying so fervently. Are you a praying mother? Are you a praying husband? Do your children see you praying? When issues in life come up, and I know that they do, I've talked with many of you, where do you go with the source of your problem? Where do you go with the source of your problem? She went right back to her Heavenly Father in prayer. Not only was she a woman of passion and prayer, but she was a woman also of patience. She was a woman of patience. It's not in your service sheet, but in verse 17 it says, Eli said, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant what you have asked for. And then she said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went away and ate something. Her face was no longer downcast. She was a woman of, not only did she pray, she was a woman of patience. She walked away happy, not downcast. She knew where to go, the source of her problem. She also knew where to leave the problem. You see, a lot of people will say, you know, Jared, I'm really struggling with stuff. I've got issues going on in my life or my marriage or my family or my finances. And I'm, I'm praying and I'm still upset. I said, what's, what's, they would say, what's the matter with my prayer life? I said, it has nothing to do with your prayer life. It has everything to do with your faith life. Because what you're doing is you're praying to God and saying, hey, God, I got this problem. I'm going to lay it at your feet, but then I'm going to take it back. I don't trust you enough to be able to, to leave it there. I've got to deal with it on my own. And then people get worried and upset, and they keep dwelling on the same things over and over and over again. Cast your care on the Lord because he cares for you. The verse right before that is, humble yourselves before God's mighty hand. We've got to be able to say, hey, God, you're, you're in charge of the whole thing here. Whether I'm not going to have children or not, whether I'm not going to have a job or not, whether or not my marriage is going to get fixed, I'm going to leave it at your feet, and you're going to deal with it, and I'm going to have faith. She was a woman of patience. She knew that, you know what, I've prayed to my God, and I know that he's going to take care of this in his timing. I know my own mother had such patience. 
she went through a trial. I, when I was born, my mother was also diagnosed with lupus. And so for the first number of years of my life before I went to school, my mother uh, a lot of times was bedridden. And uh, I remember playing at the edge of her bed. And while she couldn't move, she wasn't complaining. She would always ask me, Jared, how you doing? How you feeling? What are you playing with? She'd pray with me. It's powerful. That's a woman of patience. Knowing that the body is not working well, but the mind's still there. That's patience. Patience to say, you know what, God, I don't, I don't understand the situation I'm in, but I understand that you're in control of it. So I cast my care upon you and I leave it at your feet. We all need patience from time to time, don't we? I heard there was a boy who said his mom had a lot of patience, but when a frazzled mother sent the boy to her bed, she heard him grumbling. Every time she gets tired and impatient, I'm the one who ends up having to take a nap. (laughs) And I thought, that's pretty fitting for many mothers. Mothers, are you showing patience in your own life? Are you conveying that to your children? Husbands, are you conveying that to your children? She was a woman of passion, of she was a woman of prayer. She was a woman of patience. She was also a woman of promise. She said in verse 20, So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel because I asked the Lord for him. She fulfilled her duty as a mother. She said, listen, I, I'm going to give him back to the Lord. That's exactly what she did. And it said no razor ever came across his head. There were three people in the course of uh, the scriptures that we know that took the Nazarite vow. The Nazarite vow was when you didn't shave, you didn't cut your hair, you didn't uh, pay much attention to your clothing, or you didn't drink, you didn't go to parties or celebrations. There was three people that took a Nazarite vow. Samson was one of them. John the Baptist was one of them. And we know that, we know that uh, Samuel was the third. She gave him back to the Lord. She said, Lord, thank you for this child. I now dedicate him to him. It wasn't about parading him around. It was about saying, listen, I'm going to raise him up in the Lord. That's why I love what we do here with baptisms and dedications. That's exactly what we're saying. We're saying, hey, you know what? We're going to raise this child up the best of our abilities. In front of all these witnesses, we vow to raise our child up in a godly way. That's what it's all about. That's what Hannah did. She gave him back to the Lord. She fulfilled her duty. It wasn't an intrusion. She didn't look at them as a problem or him as a problem. She, she didn't look at even him as, as her own possession. She looked at him as a gift from God. She was a woman of promise. And I love the fact, too, that she not only was prayerful and patient and she had, she had promise, but she also was a woman of praise. Woman of praise. Verse 24 says, when he was weaned, she took the boy, as young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull and ephah, a flower of skin of wine, brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the Lord to Eli, and he said, pardon me. She said, as surely as you live, I'm the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked for. So now I give him to, you, him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. It goes on to say that Hannah continued to worship the Lord. And I love this because it wasn't, that, it wasn't that Samuel was 90 years old when she started praising God. He was still a boy. 
She had no idea what his life was going to be. She did not know that he was going to be the great man that he was going to be. She only knew that she was dedicating back to the Lord, and now that child is in his hands. Well, you say, what's the point of that? The point is that we oftentimes as parents get so frustrated with our own children and go, God, I don't understand what you're doing here. We get so downhearted. We get so frustrated with our own children that we can't give praise back to God. And what he's saying here is, listen, your job as a parent is a duty just to dedicate your child to the Lord and do your best to raise them up in a godly way. The rest is up to God. The rest is up to God. You know, we, we uh, over in the sanctuary, we had a, uh, a video this morning, different than this one, uh, but we talked about train a child up in the way he should go. When he's old, he'll never depart from it. From it. You're very familiar with that verse, I assume. Train up a child when they're, when the way they should go, and when they're old, they'll never depart from it. Two things out of that. If there's a way that a child should go, then there's a way that they would naturally go. So we as parents have to step in. And then it says when they're old. Well, how old's old? Five? Ten? It doesn't say. So as parents, we're faithful, aren't we? We're faithful to try to raise them up in a godly way. Till the ends of time, we, we're, pray, we're prayerful. We're patient. We're, we, we, we live a life of promise saying, you know what? Even though our, my child's making some terrible decisions here, I'm going to commit to live, um, teaching them godly ways. I don't care if they're 40, 50 years old. I'm still going to talk to them about what God wants in their life. I'm still going to point them towards God in their life. That's what brings parents praise because it takes the responsibility off, off us to say, okay, my child turned out the way they did. I've dedicated them to, to God. That's what I've been designed to do. That's my responsibility. And Hannah knew that from the get-go. That's why she was a woman of praise. So how do we apply that? Women, first off, are you a woman that shows praise? Are you a woman of promise and patience and prayer? Are you a woman of passion? Your kids see that. Are you a godly mother? Are you preparing to be a godly mother? If you're older, are you training others up to be a godly mother? Young women, are you preparing to be a godly mother as well? Men, men, husbands, are you creating an environment in which your wife's godliness can be used to the best? Are you creating that environment? Are you creating an environment that, that, you're, that you're having a godly marriage? Are you raising sons who will lead their wives to be godly mothers? Young people, are you preparing yourself to be godly parents someday? Are you praying for your own mothers? It's wonderful to be parents, to have such a huge responsibility. It is scary, but it is wonderful, isn't it? And I love what the Surgeon General said once, a long time ago. He says, there's no greater responsibility, no greater privilege than raising of the next generation. And that's what we can do. But what's wonderful is the Bible teaches how to do that, doesn't it? And as the band comes and as we close... You know, our service here with a song, it really is wonderful to be able to talk about what motherhood actually looks like. You know, and I think Hannah could attest to this. I, I found a short story, it's a, more of a parable, that I think Hannah could attest to this, that I, I think all mothers would want to attest to, or raise up people, mothers, to, to attest to this, parents as well, about the impact that God can have in their life about what our responsibility is as mothers, as fathers. And it goes like this. It says, The young mother set her foot upon the path of life. Is the way long, she asked. And her guide said, Yes. And the way is hard. 
And you will be old before you reach the end of it. But the end will be better than the beginning. But the young mother was happy and she would not believe that anything could be better than these years. So she played with her children, gathered flowers for them along the way and bathed them in a clear stream. And the sun shone on them and life was good. And the mother cried, nothing will ever be as lovelier than this. Then the night came, the storms and the path was dark and the children shook with fear and cold and the mother drew them close and covered them with her mantle and the children said oh mother we're not afraid for you are near and no harm can come and the mother said this is better than the brightness of the day for i have taught my children courage and the morning came and there was still a, there was a hill ahead and the children climbed and grew weary and the mother was weary but at all times she said to the children a little patience and we'll be there So the children climbed, and when they reached the top, they said, We could not have done it without you, mother. And the mother, when she lay down that night, looked up at the stars and said, This is a better day than the last, for my children have learned strength in the face of hardness. Yesterday I gave them courage. Today I've given them strength. And the next day came strange clouds which darkened the earth, clouds of war and hate and evil. And the children groped and stumbled, and the mother said, Look up. Lift your eyes to the light. And the children looked and saw above the clouds in everlasting glory. And it guided them and brought them beyond the darkness. And that night, Mother talked of Jesus and said, This is the best day of all, for I have shown my children God. And the days went on, and the weeks, and the months, and the years. And the mother grew old. She was a little and bent. But the children were tall and strong and walked with faith and courage. And when the day was rough, they lifted her, for she was as light as a feather. And at last they came to a hill. And beyond the hill they could see a shining road and golden gates flung wide. And the mother said, I have reached the end of my journey. And now I know the end is better than the beginning. For my children can walk alone. For my children now walk with God. Let's pray. Well, God, we thank you for what you teach us in your word about how to be godly husbands and wives, how to be godly parents. Lord, I thank you for the mothers in this room, the mothers-to-be as well. Prepare them. Prepare them to be godly mothers. Be with the men in this room. Prepare them to be godly husbands as well. The young people, as they think about that in the future. Oh, Lord, you've given us such great responsibility, and we thank you. We thank you for this responsibility. Be with us as we raise our children. Lord, in you, give us patience. Be with us in prayer. Give us the passion. Help us to keep the promise. And ultimately, let us give you praise for all that you've done for us. And I ask all this in your name. Amen.